Welcome to episode number 37 of Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast ministry of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we have a special guest speaker. John Wiebe is the president of MB Foundation. The MB Foundation is the stewardship ministry of the MB Church family in the United States. John will be talking today about experiencing real life. His main passage is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Open up your Bibles and prepare your hearts to hear what God has to say through John today. Uh, there was a man that needed a rare, uh, he needed a surgery, and he had a rare blood type. And so he needed a transfusion. And of course, when you have a rare blood type, sometimes it's hard to find someone who could donate that blood and, and be able to help you along. And so he, he put an ad out there, and finally they found a Mennonite who had this rare blood type. And so the Mennonite gave blood, and he received a check in the mail for $100,000 as gratitude for this, this expression of, of giving. It was Thanksgiving, right? And so he was giving thanks, and he gave him $100,000. Well, obviously, that was quite memorable and left an impression on this Mennonite man. And so when, when this gentleman needed a second blood transfusion for a second surgery, of course, the Mennonite, out of his generosity, raised his hand and said, yes, I'll give blood again. And so he did that, and he got a check in the mail for $1,000, Quite the drop-off. So while he still appreciated the generosity, it, it kind of, you know, he made note of that. And, and he began to wonder what was going on. Well, a third request came for a blood transfusion. Again, he volunteered to give his blood. And this time he received a check for $10. Well, finally the Mennonite couldn't help himself. He broke all protocol and he had to confront this man who he'd given blood to and just ask what was going on. Why this drastic reduction in giving from $100,000 down to $10. And the gentleman replied, well, you see, I had more and more Mennonite blood in my system all the time. (laughs) Ouch. That hurts, doesn't it? (laughs) I like that story. It speaks to our, our, our Germanic uh, Mennonite, those of you who maybe don't consider yourself Mennonite heritage, that's all right. We could tell this story about Baptists or any group you want to pick on, but I'll pick on ourselves, right? That uh, sometimes we're our frugality and our careful stewardship and management or even, dare I say, cheapness, you know, gets picked on. But, but in my work with our family, I know that this isn't typical, uh, we're very generous people, and I don't say that to, to be prideful, but to, but to commend you for your generosity. But I do think it illustrates for us something that is very real, and that is that the, the culture gets into us. The world that we live in is like a blood transfusion sometimes, and God created us to be a certain way, but over time, the, the advertisements Our friends, our peers, our work associates, the messages that we get from the world around us is like a blood transfusion. It shapes and molds us and changes us from the people that God intended us to be. And so we have to be conscious of that, that there's a blood transfusion happening. And I don't know how we symbolically yank out the the wires and, and get rid of the IV and say, I'm not taking that drug. I want to live the way Jesus intended me to live. 
when it comes to money. And that's why the, this message is titled Experiencing Real Life. Not the life that, that the world wants us to have when it comes to money, but the kind of life that Jesus wants us to have. When he said in John 10.10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, that's the real stuff. That's not the fake IV, the blood transfusion that's coming from, from the world around us. It's the real stuff. And so I want to unpack that for us in the minutes that we have left today. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, gives us some excellent counsel on how we should view money and some ideas, some, some things that we can um, you know, use as, as bedrock, as, as cornerstone, as, as pegs and hooks to, to be able to shape us and mold us when it comes to money so that we're not giving in to the, the culture and the world around us and the, the messages that they're giving us around money. I'm going to read uh, this passage out of the New Living Translation, and it reads like this. Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone, but their trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. And by doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. I want to just highlight six key words or in a couple cases, phrases for you. So if you're taking notes, six key words that jump out of this passage for me, and I'm guessing at least some of them are jumping out of the pages, out of those verses for you. And I think as we unpack those words, we'll understand better what Paul is saying, what his instruction is here for you and for me. First of all, the very first word that hits me is the first word in the passage, and that's the word tell. Tell those who are rich. In some of yours, maybe the New International Version, you have the word command. Command those who are rich. Some of us will have the word charge. It's a military term that's being used. This is serious stuff. This isn't just suggest to those who are rich or, you know, give them some advice, tell them. This is command those, charge those. Now, my kids are a little bit older. They're in college now, but when they were younger, I could walk into where they're watching TV or playing video games, and, you know, they knew the difference if dad was suggesting something or telling them something or commanding them something, right? They, they picked up on that. They didn't always obey, but they could see the difference. There was a different body posture. There was a different language. There was a different intensity. And Paul has some intensity here. When he says to young Timothy to tell his local church to command them something, this is serious. Paul wanted their attention, and he wanted them to listen up. So let's listen to the next words. The second word that catches my attention is the word rich. How can you miss that, right? Command those, tell those who are rich in this world. Maybe some of you saw that word and you kind of, you relaxed. Oh, good. This is about the rich. And this isn't about me, right? I'm, I'm not the rich. Well, let's, let's think about this word for a little bit. Tell those who are rich in this world. 
Uh, it seems like when we think of the rich, it's always the other guy, the other gal. It's the other person. It's, you know, I'm, a, I'm an NFL fan, so I'll be listening if I can find the Denver Broncos somewhere on the, the radio as I drive home. I'll be listening to the Denver Broncos. And, you know, when I think of who the rich are, that's uh, every name I'm going to hear as I listen to that game. That, those are the rich in this world. Or maybe the actors, actresses, the Hollywood crowd, they're the rich in this world. Or we come into Hillsboro, we kind of know, I mean, we're hesitant to say it, but since I'm in Huron, I can say it, right? You know, it's Carriage Hills. Okay, Nate knows what I'm talking about, so i got to be careful. You know, but I mean, so we always got this impression of it's the other person. I was struck by Hillary Clinton, and this is not a political statement, but on June 9, she was quoted as saying, we came out of the White House not only dead broke, but in debt. We had no money when we got there, and we struggled to piece together the resources for mortgages, for houses, for Chelsea's education. It was not easy. Anybody feeling sorry for Hillary Clinton right now? I mean, the mortgages, plural. The houses, plural. Chelsea's education, did she go to, I think, Stanford? Uh, you know, not a cheap place, and, you know, she's kind of whining about this. I mean, even Hillary is thinking the rich is someone else. It's not her or Bill. We took a trip uh, this summer. Our family took a trip to Guadalajara, Mexico, mission trip. And, and we saw people who were in the depths of poverty. Uh, a pastor and his wife, young kids, that, that if they could, we found out that if someone would donate $150 a month, the pastor could quit working elsewhere and just devote himself full time to the work of the church. For $150 a month, their family would be fine, and he could devote himself full-time to ministry. I felt pretty rich at that point on the trip. Do you feel rich? Did you wake up this morning going, yeah, I'm rich? You should. You should realize that we are the rich in this world. If, if you make $20,000, you're in the top 4% of the richest in the world by income. I see some teenagers in the crowd. If you make $1,500 in disposable cash income each year, you can do that in a summer, right? $1,500, you're in the top 75% of the richest people in the world today. A recent statistic I saw said that if you have household income of $45,000 or more, you're in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. I'll make a bold statement. I'm guessing everybody here is rich by that definition this morning. And if there's one or two that aren't making $45,000 as, as a household, that is not a number that's beyond reason. You would think you could do that. If you're just starting out, 45, that's a number we can attain. We work hard if things fall together, right? I mean, that is not out of sight. I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is that we are rich in this world. The bad news is, is that that means Paul is commanding those who are rich, you and me, to listen to some stuff. And to live life a certain way. So we need to, to sit up and take notice. He's talking to us. He's not talking to the person across the street, the person around the world. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. 
The third word I'd bring your attention to is the word trust, or the word hope. Command those who are rich in this world not to put their trust in their money, which will soon be gone, but their trust, shows up twice, should be in the living God. And some of your, your translations would have this word hope. We're not to put our hope, our trust in money. We're supposed to put our hope, our trust in God. What are you hoping in today? What gives you a sense of security, of confidence? Is it God and is it his faithfulness and, and his assurance that he's with us is the songs that we just sang? Or is it the success of your business or commodity prices or you know, that promotion that you've been looking forward to or the ability for your spouse to get a, a job, your education? Where do you put your trust and your hope? I mean, this is such a dangerous trap for us, but it's one that just the door sitting wide open and we all are falling through that once in a while at least, right? Where we put our trust and our hope. When the stock market crashed in 2008, I, you know, we deal with a lot of older folks. I had one gentleman say, well, I, I grew up in, in poverty and the depression. I guess I'm going to die in the depression. I said, John, I know you've lost a lot, but my goodness, how many trips did you take this year? How many things are you still able to do? Where do you still live? I mean, I challenged, I pushed back because this despair that, was, that existed, and I'm sure you felt it, you maybe experienced it yourself, and you saw it in others, this, this despair that people were feeling. And it's not that I'm without compassion to those who are in retirement and saw their portfolios drop 30 40%. That's hard. And I'm not minimizing that. But it's at times like that where we experience, where is our trust? Where is our hope? Reminds me of the passage in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses warned the Israelites as they were on the verge of entering the promised land. He said, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But we need to remember, it's the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. We need to be honest with ourselves. Where are we putting our hope and our trust? Uh, we, need, we need a fresh wind in here to release the tension a little bit. The next word I'll give you is, is, is actually a phrase, two words, our enjoyment. Okay, does that make you feel a little better? Our enjoyment. It says right at the end of verse 17 that he richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Praise the Lord. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. I mean, God is not saying in these verses, get rid of it all. Shame on you for having anything. Don't enjoy life's blessings. He's not saying that at all. He's just saying, I'm talking to you who are rich. Wake up. Live like a good, healthy, rich person. Let's do some things differently. He doesn't say become poor. He just says be a good, rich person. And here he's saying, hey, by the way, God does provide everything you need for your enjoyment. Enjoy it. But can we, can we balance it? Can we enjoy it without our hope and our trust being in it? 
Can we enjoy it and still stay focused on God? Can we enjoy it and understand, wow, we are rich and blessed, and we meet people every day, and there's people in the world, most of the people in the world aren't rich. And how can we balance that out? We'll get to that. But right now, the word is our enjoyment. Okay? So enjoy. Not here to give anybody a guilt trip, but to learn together how we can be rich in a godly way. So verse 17 just sets the stage so that our hearts are open, and I hope your hearts are open to what the Spirit has to say to you through this next verse. Because that's where he tells us, folks, you're rich, listen up, don't put your hope in this stuff, it's okay to enjoy it, but now let's hear. And so my fifth word is not a word at all. Here's where the the thing breaks down for me, but I just can't avoid it. There's really four phrases. It says, do good, be rich in good works, give generously, and be ready to share. Basically the whole verse 18, four different phrases, four different ways that the Apostle Paul says, this is what it means to be a godly rich person. This is what it means to be a godly rich person. We're supposed to do good. Maybe because we're rich compared to world standards, we have more time on our hands or could have more time on our hands if we're willing to restructure our lives so that we have more time and we can do good. We can, we can give of our time to other people. We can go on mission trips. We, we have the resources to be able to do these things. So he says, be a good rich person, do good. Be rich in good works. Now, we're all called as Christian people to, to good works. But there's something here in the way Paul is saying this that, that I think because we're rich, that we should, we should be gooder. We should do more good. We should be able to do more good than the average Christian. And that's not to lift ourselves up in any kind of prideful way. But simply, folks, we, we keep working. We stay on the rat race, on the treadmill. We're, we keep striving for more and more and more. But if we're a good rich person, we get off now and then and say, you know what? I've been blessed to be a blessing, so who can I go bless? Maybe I've got enough and I can divert my attention towards something else. I can go volunteer. I can go on a trip. I could reach out to my neighbor who, who needs me. I can take some vacation time because i got so much to go and help somebody else. So the instruction, do good, be rich in good works, seems to, to talk about our time, even though I think it's our resources that give us more time, can give us more time if we're willing to, to embrace that. And then the next two really talk about our money. Give generously and be ready to share. I love the book. It was brought up in Sunday school by Chip Ingram called The Genius of Generosity. And if you want to read a, a short little book that's just fantastic about why it's really smart to be generous... Read this one by Chip Ingram. He says in there a great quote, lots of little nuggets and quotes, but the one I really gravitated to is where he said, stewardship is the path, but generosity is the adventure. Stewardship is the path, and generosity is the adventure. A lot of times when we talk about money in the church, we're talking about good stewardship, budgeting, saving, investing, paying off debt, and all those things are fantastic, and, and I'm a big advocate and proponent of those things. But that is just the means to the end, in my opinion. It's all about being generous. And that's when the fun really kicks in. 
If you have the opportunity to organize your life as a rich person to where you've got more resources available and can begin to share and be ready to share, be looking for opportunities to share, being rich in good works, you will find joy. You will increase your joy. It will be an adventure. I guarantee you. Try it. God said, test me in this. Okay? Stewardship is just the path. It's just the means to an end. You become rich, maybe through good stewardship principles. That's just the beginning. Generosity is the adventure. And generosity is the antidote to being pulled by the culture, to trusting in stuff. It's the antidote to consumerism and to living a life that's just focused on ourselves. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 11 puts it this way. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I mentioned this last night, but I want to again, that Andy Stanley has a great book called How to Be Rich. And uh, that came out actually after I had I'd put this sermon together, or I became aware of the book after I'd put this sermon together, but so many things just dovetailed. Uh, but he talks in there about the three Ps to generosity. And I'd just like to encourage you to spend some time today, this week, prayerfully thinking about how generous you are. And I'm not giving you a number of what it means to be generous, a percentage of what it means to be generous. I'm just encouraging you to seek the Holy Spirit about whether or not you're a generous person. I've already established that you're rich, so we're, we're not going to argue about that one. All right? You commit to that, you're not going to beat me up later, okay? We're not going to argue about that. We are rich. We're in the top 1%, most of us. Okay? So now it's a question of are we generous? Are we doing good? Are we being rich in good deeds? Are we giving generously? Are we ready to share? Andy Stanley recommends three Ps. Think about your giving in terms of is it a priority? Is it a priority? Is it first fruits? Is it off the top? Is it the first check you write? I don't want to call it the first bill you pay because it's not a bill. It's not duty. It's not obligation. But is it the first, first thing you do with the resources that you get? Is it a priority? Secondly, is it a percentage? Do you determine as husband and wife, as families, how much are we going to give this year? Is it a percentage? I think giving a percentage is the best way to, to go. Not picking a number. It'll translate to a, a dollar amount. But pick a percentage. And as God blesses you and you're made rich in every way, that percentage can, can just roll with the punches, roll with the blessings. All right, so make it a priority. Choose a percentage. And thirdly, be progressive in your giving. Be progressive. Meaning, when was the last time that you thought about how much you give and challenged yourself to give more? Think about that for a moment. When was the last time Maybe as husband and wife, you said, you know, honey, we could do more. We could grow in this grace of giving. We could, we could do more. And if you're at the national average of, of 3%, 3 to 4%, do a little more. Pick a higher percentage. See if you could do more. Be progressive. If you're at the tithe and, and you've been stuck there for a long time, maybe it's time to say, man, let's get off this, this plateau and let's go to 11%. Let's go to 12%. Let's go to 30%. What, can we be progressive in our giving? Can we be rich in good works? Can we be ready 
on every occasion and generous, ready to share. All right. Lastly, another last key phrase is the very last of the whole passage. Verse 19 says, By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So experience true life. That's the reward. That's the motivation. That's why we should want to live like a good rich person is because we get to experience true life. Now we talk a lot about you know, storing up treasure in heaven. Matthew 6 talks about that. And we, get, we think about a crown and more jewels and another room on our mansion and all these kinds of things. I can't understand that stuff. I can't grasp what that's going to look like. And so that doesn't really, I'll be honest, motivate me in my generosity. But this last phrase, I think, it does motivate me, and I hope it can help motivate you. We can experience true life. We can take hold of real life, your version may say. It changes the way we live today. John 10.10, I have come that you might have life. You might have it more abundantly. That's a reality when we die in eternity, but I believe it's also a reality today. Life will be better if you live this way. You will find more fulfillment if you live this way. You will experience the life that Jesus intended each one of us to live. My youngest son especially really likes to play video games. And sometimes I would come home from work and we'd sit at supper and he'd be telling me about this football game. And I love football, so I'm tuning in. And he's talking about a a pass and a score and a blocked punt and all these great things that happen. And all of a sudden I begin to realize, what game are you talking about? Because I thought I watched the last Broncos game and I'm just missing out. What what are you talking about? Oh, Oh, yeah, well, Dad, it's a video game I played, you know, right before supper. Oh, like... It's that fake thing that you were doing, that pretend thing. I'm not putting that down. That, that's fun. But, but I think that's an illustration for us. We think we're, we're living the real life when we're just ex- enjoying our stuff for ourselves. That's the life that the world would suggest we should live. But when we reorientate our lives and we live in such a way that we could do good works and we could be generous and willing to share, and we live the adventure of generosity, practicing priority and percentage and progressive, we get to take hold of real life. I know I've pushed our time a little bit. I want to share one last story for you. One of my favorite uh, testimonies and, and one of my stewardship heroes is John Wesley. I'm sure you're familiar with his quote, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Widely misunderstood and misinterpreted, by the way. But let me tell you a little bit about his story. Uh, John grew up in poverty. Uh, He was the son. uh, There were many children in the family. Um, His dad was a pastor, a clergyman. Uh, His dad went to debtor's prison several times. He saw him hauled off to debtor's prison, and he swore he wouldn't live like that. He would not be a person who was living in poverty. And so while he chose the same faith as his dad to be a Christian and to follow Jesus, he chose to to teach at Oxford and was a pretty prestigious position, and he earned a a quite nice salary of 30 pounds. 
And on one particular day, he had just gone on a shopping spree, no kidding, and he had, he had decorated his apartment, his little suite, with pictures and hangings, and at that point, a chambermaid came and knocked on the door, and she wanted to make sure that he had everything that he needed, and I don't know what her job was, and, but she came to the door, and when he opened it, he saw that this poor woman didn't have enough clothes to even prevent her from getting cold. It was a, it was a cold winter day, and she had, had hardly anything on, and he was struck by the reality that while he had enough money to decorate his place, she didn't have enough money to meet her physical needs. And he swore from that point on that he would live life differently. And so the next year he made 30 pounds, and he kept 28 for himself, and he gave two pounds away. Now that's not quite a tithe, but he started somewhere, and he made it a priority, and he made it a percentage, I'm going to assume, and he gave two pounds away. The next year he earned 60 pounds, had quite a big jump. And he lived on 28, and he gave 32 pounds away. Well, as time went on, he had numerous jumps in his, in his uh, salary as well as writing his, his materials. They were widely published. Uh, we have records that one year he made 90 pounds. He actually gave himself a little standard of living increase. He spent 30 pounds on himself. He's got meticulous records. He gave 60 pounds away. It was recorded that in his highest income year, he earned 1,200 pounds. He spent 30 on himself, and he gave the rest away. John Wesley understood what it means to be rich in this life. He understood what it meant to put his hope and his trust in God rather than in stuff and to use the resources that God had richly provided to him to be generous and willing to share. And he took hold of real life. He experienced the life that Christ intended for us. I hope that we can do the same. We hope you've enjoyed today's message from John Wiebe. If you'd like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can go to our website at BethesdaMB.org. That's www.BethesdaMB.org. If you'd like to know more about the MB Foundation and the ministry that John is a part of, you can go to www.mbfoundation.com. That's www.mbfoundation.com. We hope you've enjoyed the message. Have a blessed week.